Hey, listen, we've been in a series called Uncensored. This is the church according to the book of Acts. And we've been talking for a handful of weeks about the church as it can and should be. Now, last week we talked about how the church can and should partner in the transformation of others. This is important because what we do, what we experienced last week, what we just celebrated in baptism, if we're not seeing people's lives changed, there's this, the word transform means the other that you think you know who you are, and then you meet God, you meet Jesus, and then you begin to understand who he created you to be. There's an original design and intention and purpose for your life. And so we celebrate transformation, and we believe that we can and should be a church that partners in the transformation of others. And so the goal, I want to tell you, though, is for transformation not just to happen today, 2022, in the context of our church here in San Marcos, it's, it's not just in this season of life that our goal is to see transformation happen from generation to generation. We want to see it happen over generations, through generations, and between generations. So today we're going to talk about how the church canon should be multi-generational. Now, I want to tell you before we get going that I want to say how awesome of a church we have because I believe if you looked around on any given day at any given gathering of our church family, you're going to see a multi-generational church. You're going to see the spectrum of, of really, really young newborn baby all the way to the varsity team. I call the varsity team. I, I am on the varsity team now. So varsity team, come on. It's important for us to understand, though, as a multi-generational church, that we are a piece of a larger tapestry of everything and everyone that came before us, everyone that is now, and everyone who will ever be. This is important as a multi-generational church, because what, what we're saying is, is that our forefathers, foremothers, all the people that came before us are important. And there's something that was passed on to us, and there's something that we're passing between each other, and something we're passing on to the younger generation. So the multi-generational church has to have this paradigm. So it means that we're going to live life together, and this is what we would say, that we are in this together. We're in this together. It's where valued learning, it's where we say we value learning, it's where valued learning is passed between generations. Okay, so for me, I will tell you that in my house, now this is not a prescription for you. I'm not going to, you know, preach this message and then what I'm about to say, you're going to be like, hey, this is what I have to do. No, please, this is not prescriptive. I just want to tell you, my wife and I live multi-generationally. What does that mean for us? That means that in my house, there are 12 people. There are, this is crazy, okay? I have my seven children. I have my granddaughter who is almost five months old. My oldest daughter, who is the mother of that baby, her husband, and then I also have my 80, almost 88-year-old mother-in-law who lives with us. We are a multi-generational home, and that is countercultural in America today. I want to tell you, because what we do is, is we push for independence, right? So we're celebrating Independence Day. So there's a level of independence that's important and necessary, but we've lost sight of the fact that in the pursuit of independence, we perhaps have abandoned each other when we need each other. Come on. 
So I love that our family is together. It's not always going to look like what I just described, and that's not a prescription for your living. But I will tell you that it is biblical, and we're going to talk about, and I'm going to show you today how it's biblical for us to live with a multi-generational mindset. A multi-generational church, when we're passing this valued learning between each other generationally, this is the word I'm going to use a bit a big this is a big word that we're going to actually simplify today. It means that a multi-generational church looks like a discipling church. A discipling church. So, this multi-generational church is going to look like discipleship. We're going to talk about how it's going to look like diversity and how it's going to look like delegation. We're going to jump into a passage in Acts 16. Of course, we've been in the book of Acts, and we last week, you can go back and catch the message on our YouTube channel, but the message I talked about last week, it was the, the transformation of this guy named Saul, his life. I'm not going to jump into all the details, but suffice to say that this guy was one of the most learned, educated, he was one of the best Jews culturally that you would find in Scripture. Knocked it out of the park. God gets a hold of him. Jesus speaks to him. The Holy Spirit falls on him. And later on now, we call him Paul. Now, Paul, as we know it, went on to write most of the New Testament. Okay? In this book of Acts, a guy named Luke wrote this book. Luke also wrote a book called Luke. Very good. Super easy to remember. The author of Luke. Luke, okay? The book of Acts was written by this same guy. Now, Luke was a physician, and he was very meticulous and detailed, and he was purposeful about how he said things and why he said things in Scripture. So we're going to pick some of that out today. So we're going to jump in real quickly, and it says in chapter 16, verse 1, Paul went first to Derbe and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. So here we have Paul. He finds this young, the word that the Bible uses is disciple. The word disciple, just to make it simple, is learner. But I'm going to go a little step further. This means a lifelong learner, okay? It's not, I learned, I've arrived, I have no need to ever learn again. That's not, that's not what this means. A disciple is a person who says, for my entire life, I am submitted to the learnership. That's not a word, but I can make it because I have the microphone. To the learnership, to the learning, okay? Um, that, that I'm saying that this guy, Timothy, this young man, was a disciple. He was submitted to, to a lifelong learning. And this is key. And it said his mother, now, remember I said Luke was very detailed because he's a physician. He's detailed in his writing. So listen to what he says about Timothy. He doesn't just introduce Timothy. Paul ran into this young dude, Timothy. That's how I would have said it, and the Bible wouldn't be as awesome because I'm not as awesome as Paul. It says, listen, listen to what Luke says. His mother was a Jewish believer. He starts giving details about this young guy's ancestry. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek Timothy was well thought out, well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. So Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. Who is them? Now Paul was on a journey with some other guys, namely this guy Silas, and they were they were going through the area to different cities and speaking to the churches in the areas because they were trying to 
uh, they were trying to relieve some tension that the churches were feeling. Can I just say as a side note that if you're of the belief that there should be zero tension in church, that all of us should be unified in what unified means, if your definition of unity is we never argue, we never have disagreements, I just want to tell you it is absolutely impossible. And this proves to me that it's not even biblical. In fact, most of Paul's writings are him trying to help relieve tension that the church is feeling. Okay? And not feeling with, quote unquote, the outside world, but feeling in and amongst itself. So let's stop for a second. Quick teach moment. These guys, Paul and Silas, and there were some other apostles at the time that were traveling through the area that the, the chapter right before this, chapter 15, they had what was called the Jerusalem Council. And this was important because there was some infighting. And what was happening was they were, they were arguing over whether or not people should do X or do Y or do Z based on Jewish law, old Jewish law and culture. But if you didn't, I, 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 I'm not Jewish. I'm not of Jewish descent. So it would not make sense for me as a new follower of Jesus to all of a sudden have to submit and do all these things according to Jewish law. Does that make sense? Because now we're, we're doing everything according to Jesus. Okay? And Jesus is less law and more heart. So Jesus addresses the heart of the issue when he speaks in Scripture. Okay? What was once law, we see through the lens of the cross, and we still see it in the New Testament, but we see it, Jesus addresses it as a heart issue. You want an example of this? Okay. So... In the Old Testament, it says in the Ten Commandments, yeah, thou shalt not murder. Okay? That's an Old Testament law. Did you know that Jesus comes through the cross, that law now passes, and it's a heart issue. He says, if you think even, if you hold contempt or murderous thoughts towards your neighbor, you, like, you're basically committing murder. What's he saying? It's your heart. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Old Testament. New Testament. Jesus. He says, if you even lust with your eyes or in your heart, you've committed adultery. Heart issue. Okay? So we have to understand that there is this tension because there's this new culture because of we have this diverse amount of people that were not Jews that were getting saved and saying yes to Jesus. Okay? So Paul and Silas are traveling after the Jerusalem council. They, they reconcile this. And now they're going and telling these different churches in different cities. This is what the Jerusalem Council has said. Like, hey guys, let's live in peace this way. Paul then invites Timothy to come along with him as a leader to go and speak to the different cities about this. That's powerful. Paul didn't need Timothy's help. But he invited him because he saw him as a disciple. It says... Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Then they went from town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem, which was the Jerusalem council that I just told you about. You guys with me? Okay. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. Paul himself takes on the responsibility of multi-generational discipleship by embracing a relationship with this young man, Timothy. 
Number one, for us to understand is multi-generational looks like discipleship. The word disciple means learner, but more specifically, I said this, it's a lifelong learner underneath Jesus. Discipleship, I want you to know, is played out in relationship. It's played out personally. It's not played out through classes and programs. One of the first things that people will ask is, well, what, what is what, what's your discipleship program? I'm like, discipleship is not a program. Jesus did not go to his disciples and say, quit fishing on the water and step into my program. Right? Come on. This is what it said. He said, hey, stop, stop what you're doing. Drop what's in your hands and follow me. So discipleship is personal and it's relational. Now, I want to say to you that as a, as a church, we will utilize classes and certain programming to assist and facilitate in your growth because that's our goal. But your, your growth and your life of faith cannot be relegated, and you should know this, to just a program or class. You need the personal touch. The disciples had to leave what they were doing, fishing on the water, to become fishers of men and follow Jesus. They needed the personal touch. So first and foremost, it's played out through relationships. I love this, that multi-generational discipleship, in this case, sees the other person. The different parties see each other as having reciprocal value. The reciprocity is, it's a give and take. That you see something in me that's of value, but I also see something in you that's of value. So Paul sees that there's value that Timothy has. His mother and his grandmother have taught him about Jesus and how, and, and, and how to be a good follower of Jesus. Says that his reputation was good. And Paul goes, wow, this is something good. There's value added to bring this young guy with me. Hey, I see something on you. It'd be like me at 49 seeing someone who is younger in the faith because I want to tell you spiritual maturity is not predicated on your age. Let me say this again. I'll say it to the side of the room. Your spiritual maturity is not predicated on your age. It's actually based on your obedience to following Jesus. There are people that are 22 years old that I've met, and I'm 49, that, are, that have an amazing spiritual maturity. And I know people that are in their 70s that do not have a wonderful spiritual maturity. But we think chronologically in terms of the natural time, and we think the longer that I sit in church, it makes me a more mature believer, and it doesn't. If anything, the longer that you sit in church and you do nothing with the faith that you're being assisted with, you will become spiritually obese, and that is not the premise that Jesus came and died on the cross for. He, he came so that you could participate in the advancement of the kingdom of God. Not so we can sit and be bloated with information, so that we can be active and we can see transformation. Come on. So here we have Paul. He sees this. He goes, Timothy was well thought of by the believers. Now, he's not using Timothy, but he sees how there's this reciprocity. Hey, I need young people. Paul's like, I need young people. Now, I want you to know something. Paul, this would have been familiar to Paul as a good Jew. Jewish culture to this day is amazing at understanding a piece, being a piece, being a brush stroke in the Picasso called life. If I went to a good Jew like Paul and I said, hey, could you tell me, like, Paul, who are you? This is what Paul would say. 
I am the son of, and he would begin to give you a list all the way back to Abraham in the Old Testament. He would be able to tell you his ancestry. He would be able to tell you which one of his ancestors did what, why certain ones were his most favorite, and what promises had been carried out through that ancestor and God's hand that he's living in today. He would also begin to tell you, therefore, this is why when he would be around younger Jews, he would begin teaching those promises of what God had done to those young Jews. If I ask most of us in this room, how many of you know your great, great, great grandfather's name? How many of you? Raise your hand. That is four. Five. I saw your hand. I counted you. You were seen. And you were counted because you count. And you matter. I want you to know that. Okay? That is so foreign to us in American culture. Because if I said, who are you? Most of the time, we go, oh, well, let me tell you who I am. <laughs> I'm a father of seven. I'm a triathlete. I'm a pastor. And I start telling you all, everything about me. But multi-generational has everything to do with them. Who came before me and everyone that will come after me. Paul understands this. He's like, I see something in Timothy. Would you join me, Timothy? Because there's something powerful God has for you in your life. And I want to facilitate you stepping in. And I got to think Paul also goes, you know what? I need the energy of a Timothy around me. That's how I feel. I'm like, with you, when, when, when young people want to hang out with me, I'm like, Why? Is this like, am I being punked? I'm like, <laughs> there's so much value. There's, there's so much I get from being a daddy and a grandpa of young adults and teenagers. It's so much. I love being around the 20-something-year-olds that are trying to figure out life. I love it. I'm like, this is such a good time. And they're like, this is horrible. I'm like, can I love you for a second? My wife, Shannon, and I are like, just let, let us love you for a second. We get it. And they turn around and they're like, can we tell you how awesome you guys are? Do you, do you see the reciprocal value in this? It's a picture that on one hand, I'm reaching and someone's got a hold of me and pulling me into my destiny. While at the same time, I understand that I'm playing a part, a central part, and I'm reaching back and grabbing a hold of someone else's hand and pulling them into their destiny, and it looks something like this. Strangely familiar to the posture that Jesus took on the cross. I think the biggest thing we could do to look like Jesus is this very thing. A multi-generational church that looks like discipling, willing to grab a hold of someone's hand and pull them into their destiny and encourage them. 
and at the same time being encouraged. Amen? And I will tell you that this is increased through diversity. <clears throat> Multigenerational looks like diversity. There is someone who doesn't look like you, who doesn't like the things that you like, doesn't listen to the music you listen to, doesn't have the hobbies you have, wasn't born when you were born, doesn't maybe speak the same language as you speak, doesn't make the same amount of money that you make. There's someone completely different than you that adds a tremendous amount of value to the church and to the lives of those they come in contact with. Timothy, this guy, and I love Luke's very deep, what did he say? He was detailed. He said his mother was Jewish. His father was Greek. So this kid was multi-ethnic. That means he would probably understand a couple different languages. He was multilingual. And he was young. This is not the person that you would think a Paul, one of the most versed Jews in history, would say, I see something in you. But this is what the power of the cross, this is what the power of Jesus in our lives does. It bridges the gap between differences so we can embrace the diversity of who God has brought into our family. The two were from different beginnings, but they were headed for the same mission. I love that what <clears throat> Paul didn't do Paul didn't go, oh, <clears throat> you know, he's young, and begin to complain about the younger generation. You know, can you imagine Paul, one of the greatest apostles, greatest authors of Scripture? <laughs> Those millennial Gen Z early church kids are just terrible. And we're not speaking like, now I'm speaking to the varsity team right now, okay? We need to speak life into these young ones for who God has called them to be, not because one day they will walk into it, because they are presently powerful. The best thing we can do is look at them and say, who are you? And really help them develop a strong identity understanding who God created them to be. Because if you understand who you are, what you do will follow. I also love the fact that what Paul didn't do is he didn't say, you don't look exactly like me. I remember when I gave my life to Jesus, it was about two years before we came out and started this church, and I remember me literally praying to God. I, I was sitting in a service, and I raised my hand. I'm like, yeah, I'm finally going to surrender my life to Jesus. I mean, really surrender my life to Jesus. I was sitting in downtown Oceanside in this little church. And I remember the pastor had come down front, and I was holding my oldest daughter, who was eight, about 18 months old at the time. And I'm crying, 
I'm trying to hold it together, you know, because you got to be tough. And I walked down to the front, and I remember looking, and, and the first thing I said to God is, God, he said, you know, someone's going to come pray for you. And the first thing I said was, God, and I looked at this person, and I said, God, anyone can pray for me except that one person. And it was just one of those things. You ever looked at somebody and just said, I just don't like them. You know, it, it's proven that, like, fi- like there, it's like there's, like, a certain percentage of the time someone will not like you or you will not like someone else for no reason. It, it's, it's actually, they've done a study on it, Okay. And that's kind of where I was. And then God, of course, that this person was like the first one to me, starts praying for me. And I was like, do you not hear prayers? It was less of a prayer. It was more of an instruction, you know, like. And then what I found was, was early on in my life, just God would put more and more people around me that were so different than me. <laughs> like, yeah, wow. And it kind of irritated me a little bit. Can anyone relate to this or is this just me? Okay, let me tell you, and I was like, I'm kind of irritated, and then I realized God, you know, God's like, you know, irritation, it's like human sandpaper, but God's like, you know, these people around you are like human sandpaper on your skin. I'm like, bingo, bango, that's right, okay, Jesus, like, let's get rid of him. He's like, nope, they're to sand off your rough edges. Like, but they didn't grow up in Oceanside, they don't understand that, but... God's like, nah, dude, I got to break some stuff off of you, bro. And they carry what you need. There's things that you carry that someone needs. And it has nothing to do with how, how much alike we are. This is important. We need each other. In a world that gets more and more divided... I'm pressing and I'm saying we need to get more and more diverse. And not weird diversity. Not diversity that says, well, you know, if all the lemons hang out over here and all the apples are right next to them and all the oranges are right next to them in their silos and we put them all in the same room, we can't call that diversity. But that's what we do. We need to dump those out all over the ground and mix them up and then put them in the room. That's where we started out in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. It was everybody, all of them were devoted, all together. There's a scripture I didn't read when we went through Acts 2 that I'm going to read to you right now, and I love it. This is Peter. When the Holy Spirit shows up in Acts 2, and they begin speaking in other tongues, and people are like, they're drunk. And Peter's like, we're not drunk. And then he says, you're actually seeing what was prophesied by the prophet Joel come to pass now. And he begins to say this. And it's a picture, a beautiful picture of what happens with diversity submitted to the power of God. He says, these people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Listen to this. In the last days, God says. This is, God spoke to the prophet Joel. Peter is now recounting what Joel wrote in the book of Joel that you can read yourself in the Bible. He says, in the last days, By the way, just so you know, we're in the last days. 
Now, I, I want to I give some context to that statement. We're not in the last days because of Putin and the Ukraine and China and Israel and borders and COVID and fill in the blank. We're not in the last days because of that. Those aren't the triggers that all of a sudden, 2022, we're now in the last days. I've heard this. People are like, well, Pat, don't you think we're in the last days? I'm like, biblically, the last days began. So here, I'm going to, a little bit of a teach, okay? The last days began the moment that Jesus in Acts 1 ascended to be with the Father in heaven. The last days began. So for us to make it through the last days that began back then, over 2,000 years ago, he gave us the Holy Spirit. So we're... We're like, yes, we're in the last days, but we've been in the last days, okay? The church still is on mission, and we're still advancing the kingdom of God. Listen to how the prophet Joel says God is going to begin to work in a multi-generational, diverse way. He says, I will pour all my, sp- or my spirit on all people. How many people? Okay? Doesn't matter how old, young, how much money you make, okay? It says your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Can I just stop for a second and tell you something? This is a perfect depiction of how the kingdom of God flips everything over that we begin to understand in the natural. Here's why I say that. It says that your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In life, the older you get, the less you what? Dream Can I tell you, varsity team, God is giving you dreams today. Your life, the, the activity in your life of faith is not done. There's something that happens when the young men and young women around us begin to see visions. What is the the vision? See, typically the older people are the ones that have vision. It's the strategy to steer something. So typically the younger people come to the older people and the young people are like, we have dreams, woo, I want to be a YouTube star. And the old people are like, that's stupid. Let me give you a clear strategy on how to make money. Right? Is this making sense to anybody? Okay. Because these are real conversations that I have. And you know what I realize? The kingdom of God flips it all over. That means young people... I need you because God has put dreams in my heart and maybe some of the other varsity members in this room. God is putting dreams in your heart. But if we're too prideful on the varsity team to trust leadership that God has actually baked into the DNA of the young people around us, we will miss spiritual strategies that the young people might be able to bring to the table so we can see dreams happen. So, what we do on the varsity team is we just quit dreaming. If you want to dream, multi-generational, diverse relationship with some young people that are seeing and have vision. It looks like, hey, Mr. 25-year-old, I'm almost 49. What do you see? But usually it's, this is what I see. I'm the adult in the room. Go do it. I want to know what they see. I want to know what the 10-year-old sees. What do you see? You know, I just think you'd be awesome. Yeah, okay. And we, because we're dreaming again, varsity team, we go, power of God, Holy Spirit infused, that's possible. Let's go do it. 
Think about how powerful what I just said, think about how powerful we would be as a church, followers of Jesus, if we grabbed a hold of this and we got it right. Didn't even get it right. Got it right like 10% of the time. <laughs> he goes on and he says, in those days I will pour out my spirit even on my servants. The word servant, it's where we get the word doula from. Does anyone know what a doula is? My wife's a doula. Now, my wife's had seven children, so it's kind of like a no-brainer for her. But a doula literally means a woman servant. So my wife becomes a servant to women to birth babies. She helps in the birthing and the, and the maturing of babies. That's what that, so my wife's like, I'm a doula. She, she doesn't do it a ton because it takes a lot of time. It is a lot of work. But that's what this word servant is where we get the word doula from. So let, let, me, let me give you some context. He says, in those days I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, even on my doulas, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. That you and I, when we embrace this multi-generational diversity, we become doulas in one another's life. Guess what we're doing? We're helping to birth those things that we're pregnant with. There's something in you that I get to be a doula in your life, spiritually help you birth and mature, and reciprocally. He says, I will call, cause wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. Talking about Jesus' second coming. And he goes, but everyone who calls. How many people? Oh, we see this beautiful idea of multi-generational diversity again. Everyone doesn't matter. That means the five-year-old, the five-year-old that experiences the Holy Spirit power in their life because there's no junior Holy Spirit, FYI. Holy Spirit's Holy Spirit. Jesus, is, G Jesus for my 11-year-old is the same Jesus for me. We pray to the same Jesus. She's not praying to adolescent Jesus. Okay? She's praying to like, Jesus came back to wreck house when he comes back to finish it, Jesus. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, you know, show up, heal people. Signs and wonders. Empower me to step into my purpose, Holy Spirit. I just want to tell you, I'm thankful that we live in a context in our church where we embrace multi-generational diversity. I think we do a good job. My challenge is, let's press in and do more of it. Let's get really good at it. Let's set ourselves apart. Let's be amazing at this. Lastly, multi-generational looks like delegation. It looks like delegation. It says that they went from town to town instructing each other, the two of them, Paul and Timothy did. What this means is that Paul said, hey, would you come with me? But at the same time, he said, I'm going to let you go as a leader. Th th this is what I mean. Timothy, I want you to join me, but I also want to join you in releasing your voice because we're together, we're going to help instruct the churches in the cities we go to. And they're going to see something and hear something different coming from you than they're going to hear from me. And there's something powerful that happens. But that also means Paul delegated to Timothy, but at the same time, he kept leading and advancing the kingdom of God himself. Too often, I think what happens, so, so let, me, let me define this real quickly. Too often, I think what happens is we end up abdicating 
rather than delegating. Let me define the word delegate real quickly for us. To entrust a task or responsibility to another person. So I'm going to delegate something. I'm going to entrust, entrust this task or responsibility to you. But that also implies that I'm going to follow up and, and, and it's going to require some training and some support and some accountability. That I'm present, that I'm eyes on, heart invested, but maybe, maybe I'm not hands on. Are you with me? And this was Paul in Timothy's life. So he delegates to Timothy, but he still understands he has a personal responsibility. But abdication says that I'm going to relinquish all responsibility of something. I'm going to abandon my responsibility to train, to equip, to hold accountable, to have my eyes and heart attached. And then, and then I'm going to take it a step further. I'm going to actually take a seat because I'm now done. So it sounds something like this. Who needs Jesus? Pastor, I need Jesus. Amen. Pray a prayer. Good luck. Here you go. Bye-bye. And that causes so many problems. It'd be the equivalent of a male impregnating a female but not being there to father the children. Like the (laughs) word... That wasn't the work. Staying present, multi-generational, discipling, diversity, and delegating and maintaining a responsibility, that's fathering. That's mothering. That's grandfathering now. Grandmothering for my wife. And so it may sound something like this as well. I, you know, I've known Jesus for 25 years, and then I've done everything in the church. It's just, you know, and I've given things away. And, and what happens is, is we see the younger generation as competition. Paul didn't see Timothy as competition. Paul didn't go, well, if I invite Timothy to come and he starts speaking to the other churches, then what's there left for me to do? I guess I'm just, I'm retired now. It's just time for me to sit. And this is one of the biggest problems we run into. Because a faith that sits fails to see where it fits. So we begin asking questions. The longer we've known Jesus, where do I fit? Well, the young people are doing everything now. I just feel like I'm not needed. I'm speaking to the varsity team right now. Can I tell you, if I polled everyone in this room under the, underneath the age of 35 and I just chose to split this at 70. 70 down to zero and I said 35. Can I tell you that everyone under 35 in this room would love for those of us on the varsity team to be active with our faith? to continue to advancing the kingdom of God as we walk with them and help them grow so they can advance the kingdom of God. That's my experience with those who are young in my life. They want, they want the relationship. They're longing for it. We need to begin dreaming again we need to begin thinking about what, God, what are you showing us again? But 
what we can't do is we can't sit down and say, well, I'm retired. There's no point in your faith that you age out. And there's no point that you have to be a certain age to get in. That our lives, people go like, well, Pat, what are you going to do, you know, when you're, you know, later on in life and you retire? And I, I, <laughs> I start laughing. I'm like, retire? Retire? Like, what is, like, do you understand? Like, like this assignment that I have right now as a pastor, there's a difference between assignment and calling. This is my assignment right now. I'm pastoring a church. My calling will never leave. I want to see people's lives transformed. I want to see you step into areas of your life that God has for you that you don't even believe that you can make it to. I want to challenge you. I, I want you to know that you can grow. I want you to know that you have what it takes. I'm here, I'm here, to, I'm here to coach you the entirety of my life. This is my calling in my life. Now, that might look like being a dad. That might look like being a grandpa speaking to my granddaughter. It might look like standing on a stage and what we call a pastor. But this is not my calling. This is an assignment. But what happens is we get married to our assignments and we forget our callings. So maybe you're in a season where God is changing your assignment today. Maybe you're in a season where you're like, oh, I used to do this. And it's like, we put all our identity into that thing. It's like, that's not what it's about. People, what are you going to do when you retire? I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing now. It's just the assignment's going to be different. Because there's no retirement. And I don't look at young people and go, hey, you know, when you come of age spiritually, come talk to me. We have work to do. If there is, there is a constant advancing kingdom of God. Till the day that Jesus returns, that means that for you and I, there's always work to be done in advancing the kingdom and helping others grow as they learn how to advance the kingdom of God. Why don't you join me in standing? I want to pray for us. Paul continues, the very next verse after what we read, Luke doesn't even skip a beat. He goes right into Paul and Silas left to Phrygia and Galatia. Like this guy is committed to seeing those around him grow, but he's also committed to his own growth. I'm going to keep advancing. Here's my question for you this morning. What does your posture look like when it comes to being a lifelong learner? What does it look like? Are you showing up with an open heart? To really say like, God, there's potentially someone around me in my life that's gonna say some things to me that I'm entrusting, I'm going to be vulnerable, but I'm going to show up with an open heart. Or possibly you're around some people and God's giving you some wisdom and insight and you have the relationship to speak into someone's life. This is not like, just don't, we did, 
You just don't start speaking into people's lives and telling them what they need to do. It's born out of relationship. So there's, there's both sides to this. How, you know, are you postured toward being a lifelong learner? And then are you showing up with an open heart? Is there a willingness to grow and participate in the growth of other people's lives? So let's close our eyes this morning. And I'm going to ask you, this is your challenge this week. And this is actually, in my opinion, very simple. But it's going to require you to think. And it's also going to require you potentially to make some changes. Here's your first question. I want you to think about and write down one person who you would consider being a person who's discipling you. Who in your life do you have an open heart to, open access? They can talk to you about anything. If they see something, they can say something. They can encourage you and challenge you. It may feel a little bit like human sandpaper, but it's taken off the rough edges. It may not look like you. They may not sound like you. They may not come from where you come from. Perfect. God's adding things. He's adding elements to your life. He's doing things for you that need to be done by someone who carries what they carry. And the second thing is, write down one person that you're spending time with and discipling. We all should be in this. We all should be engaged in this. This figure that I showed of, of almost cross-like posture to have one hand pulling people into their destiny and one hand where you're being pulled in. I want to speak to this idea of fit right now. Some of you have been struggling. You've tried, I'm going I'm to say this, I don't know how else to say this. Some of you have been trying to quote unquote follow Jesus and you've been struggling because you haven't felt like you fit. And I want to tell you something that most of the fit issue is because there's not a lot of relationship that you have personally with people that are speaking into your actual faith, the growth of your faith. You're trying to do it on your own. You think this is a one man kind of like, silo, solo thing, and it's not. You can't do it on your own. You weren't made for it. We weren't made for it. You need people around you. But some of you have felt this tension, and because of that, you've actually questioned your faith, but more importantly, you question the relevance of God. You question the realness of who God is, not only in your life, but in society, and you've been having a hard time, and you find yourself vacillating between the two. Some of you literally find yourself sitting in church on Sunday, feeling spiritual, and then by midweek, you'll find yourself sitting in places that you're like, this is not at all. This is the polar opposite of what I was saying on Sunday. You need, I'm just telling you because I've learned you need relationships. You don't, now listen, you don't need 20. You probably need like one or two really good relationships, but you need relationships. I have a propensity to do what I'm, what I'm about to say is I have a propensity to, I, or I have a a tendency to want to step into relationships and when they get tough, I'll want to kind of step back a little bit. I'm just being transparent. Some of you do this. You feel the desperate longing for relationship and to fit and to, to belong to something. And so you step in because it's innate inside of you. And then once the relationship, when I say show up with an open heart, once the open heart part comes, you disengage and you want to go back. 
And you'll go back to your numbing devices. You'll go back to drinking. You'll go back to sexual exploits. You'll go back to spending money, earning money. You'll go back to doing whatever it is that you're doing to numb those things. And I'm telling you today, Jesus wants to deliver freedom for you if you would just be willing and you would trust him and step into a relationship that potentially is with someone who doesn't look anything like you, doesn't talk like you, is nothing like you. We want to make our chief priority the growth of people that step in to our little church family. If you need prayer this morning, I want to invite you, if any of this, what I just said, makes sense, I want to invite you to come forward to get prayer. We have a ministry team. And this is what I actually believe. I believe that there's individuals on our ministry team that as you come forward, they're going to have specific things that God has put on their heart that they're going to pray for you that you need to hear today. You need the encouragement and you need the support. And more than anything, you need to know you're not alone in your journey of faith. I believe that. For the rest of us, as we leave here today, we're going to celebrate the fact that we have such an amazing, amazing church family that is so diverse and so um, multi-generational and wants to live life with one another. So Lord, I just say thank you. I just say come Holy Spirit, do, do what only you can do. Do only what you can do, Spirit of God. Come like a fresh wind in the hearts in the faith of your people here. That we would look across the aisle, we would look behind us and in front of us, and perhaps we would see the beautiful power of multi-generational discipling through diversity and delegation where we're helping people step into their growth as they advance the kingdom of God. So powerful. That this is why we exist. Thank you, Jesus. In your powerful name, everyone said, amen, amen.